Thank you for tuning in with us. We are back in the book of Daniel. So grab your Bibles, go back to Daniel, and uh, we're going to begin in chapter number one. If you missed last week, it was the intro, uh, the intro to the book of Daniel. So go check that out, and, uh, and it'll bring you right into where we are today in chapter number one. We're going to start with our verse-by-verse uh, uh, verse part of the study. So, so grab your Bibles. Thank you for that information. All right. All right. How many of y'all ready to study? Say amen. amen. All right. Let's look in Daniel chapter number one <clears throat> in the third year. And I will have to say this. I was in my office today and, uh, and I have my Bible on my phone. And sometimes I want to make sure I get these words correct. So I'm listening to it on the phone so I don't mess it up. Mike comes in and he's making fun of me. So he laughed at me for listening to him. But I want you to know when I pronounce these, they're going to be right. Say Amen. Okay, here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children. And there's a key word there, certain, certain. And we'll come back to that. Certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Children in whom was no blemish, but well, what? And skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding. Science and such as had ability in them to stand before the king's palace with whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. In other words, uh, they were going to college for three years. They were going to learn and, and then stand before and see if they were approved. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the princes of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, excuse me, Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Meshel of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? In other words, all the rest of the captive children. Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. I want to pray right here so you can sit down. I want to keep reading, but we'll, we'll give you a chance to sit down. Lord... Thank you so much for everybody that's here. Great crowd tonight at Bible study. Lord, I thank you for all of our family out there at Fairview. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll bless both campuses tonight. I pray that you'll fill our minds with your truth and your word. And I pray you'll encourage us to fight the fight and stand for the faith. I pray that your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. We find... We find a problem. <clears throat> Daniel, Daniel is wanting to stay true to his God. Verse number 11, it says, Then said Daniel to Melzar from the prince, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
prove thy servants, I beseech thee ten days. And let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then letting pulse is basically vegetables. It was a lentil that was pulled from the ground. It was basically vegetable soup, if you want to uh, uh, have it in your mind to kind of understand what that was. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee. And the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. In other words, just do, give us a little test. Ten days and see how things go. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzarb took away the portion of their meat and the wine which they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these children, man, I underlined that right there. I highlighted and underlined that. As for these children, God gave, say amen. amen. If, you, if you put God first and you stand for God, God's going to do something for you. God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days that the king, in other words, the end of those three years, that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better then all the magicians and astrologers that were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued even into the first year of King Cyrus. Wow. Let's go back to verse number one. We are here. And if you were not here last week, let me just give you just a tiny, tiny review uh, of, of where we're at here. Uh, the, the land of Israel, the land of Israel has been uh, uh, defiled. The, the people have... Uh, committed idolatry. They have been wicked. They have rebelled against God and God over and over and over said, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to deal with you, change your ways, repent, you know, uh, and they never would. And now God has brought judgment upon them. Nebuchadnezzar has come and he's taken, he besieged Jerusalem and, and he has taken the city. He has taken the king and, and then he took out of the, the, the storehouse, he took out of the, the, the temple some of the vessels in the house of God, some of the things dedicated for the worship of the house of God and took them and the children, the young people, most, most likely these were, were, were teens between uh, 13 and 17 years old. That's what they are estimating in their thinking. And so here we find Daniel. Daniel is one of them. Uh, Daniel is one of the captives in that first, uh, that first uh, captivity. We re remember last week we said there was three of them, right? Uh, three different times that Nebuchadnezzar came, three different times uh, that because of the rebellion and they, then they rebelled again. And in the final time, he completely destroyed the temple. He completely destroyed the city, the walls. And now they're all in captivity except just for a small remnant. But we find Daniel here in chapter number one, all right? So let's go to verse number one and we'll start our outline. <clears throat> in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave, underline that if you, if you write in your Bible, underline the Lord gave. The Lord gave. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim 
king of Judah into his hand. Now, here's what I want you to see here. Here's what I want you to see here. Uh, uh, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, I want you to see the prophecy that's confirmed. The prophecy that's confirmed. Uh, there are two, there's two things that I want you to see in this deal. Okay. There's two ways to look at it. All right. Look at it through, through secular eyes and look at it through spiritual eyes. Look at it through, uh, the world's point of view and look at it through God's point of view. In other words, if you look at it through the world's eyes and if you look at it through man's eyes, it looks like that it's all over for the Jewish people, that God is weak and he cannot handle the situation, that God was not big enough to defend them against Nebuchadnezzar and his army. But little do they know it was God using them. Are y'all with me? Now write two things down. First, we see the secular purpose. Why did, why did Nebuchadnezzar take these young men? Why did Nebuchadnezzar take these young men? Nebuchadnezzar brought young men like Daniel into the palace to demonstrate his absolute control over Judah. He took the best of the best. He took the royal line. He took the king's seed. He took the best that they had. And now he has control over them in his palace. They are cert- the best of the best of Judah is now serving as slaves in his palace. If that makes sense, say amen. He does this to supply himself with a diverse pool of knowledge, knowledgeable counselors. In one swift motion, he added trophies to his war chest of fresh minds to his brain trust. Now, monarchs of that day, when they would conquer a city or they would conquer a state, wherever it would be, they would take the best of the best and brainwash them, change them, assimilate them, and put them in their court so that they could have the best minds all around them. If that makes sense, say amen. That was the whole purpose, because if he was going to still control Jerusalem from a far country and understand the Jews and be able to control and rule over the Jews, he was going to brainwash some Jews to help him in that endeavor. If that makes sense, amen. amen. Now, that's the secular side. That's the way man sees it. That was Nebuchadnezzar thinking he's all that and he's powerful and my God is bigger or my gods because they had, they, they were idolatrous people with many gods that our gods are greater than the God of Israel. And that's another reason that he took the stuff out of the temple because that was trophies. Okay. We'll talk about that in a minute. But that's the secular purpose. That's the secular purpose. They were going and conquering. They rebelled. So we're going to come show you what's up. We, we came and we conquered, right? But here is the spiritual purpose. Here is the spiritual purpose. There's more than meets the eye in this deal. There's more than meets the eye. Isaiah chapter number 39 says this in verse five. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, saith the Lord, and of thy sons, of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, they shall take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Babylon. What happened? God said he was going to do it. Listen, there, there is no greater shame or a, 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 a just atrocity than to know that your lineage, your sons would no longer have seed and have to serve as a slave in a foreign country with a wicked king. 
But this was God's punishment. God said this is going to happen. Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the the word of God shall what? Stand forever. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. For decades, for decades, the prophet had warned the rulers of Judah that their idolatry, immorality, injustice towards the poor and needy would lead to the nation's ruin. The prophet saw the day coming when God would bring the Babylonian army to destroy Jerusalem and the temple and take the people captive to Babylon. A century before the fall of Jerusalem, the prophet Isaiah had proclaimed the message and Isaiah 13, 21 and 39 Micah, his contemporary, shared the burden in Micah 4.10. The prophet Habakkuk couldn't understand how Jehovah could use the godless Babylonians to chasten his own people. And Jeremiah lived in to see these prophecies, plus his own prophecies, all come true. God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the holy land and disgracing his name. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying God did it. God did it. This was not man. This was not, this was not the power of a, a, a Babylonian king. God did it. Now, here's, here's a way to illustrate it. Here's a way to illustrate it. Uh, uh, I've got my clip on for the, for the, uh, the microphone, so I'm not going to snatch my belt off. But uh, how many of y'all have heard that sound? Flip, 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 flip. Now, if you've never heard that sound fast, then you ain't never had no whooping like I had. Are y'all with me? Now, watch this. Watch this. Listen, the belt, the belt is Nebuchadnezzar. The belt is the nation of Babylon and, and, and the Babylonian horde that came against them. God is the one swinging it. The nation of Israel is the one receiving it. Does that make sense? Listen, Nebuchadnezzar, he's clueless to all this. He thinks this is just another fight. He thinks this is just another battle. He has no idea. He's he's arrogant. He's wicked. And we're going to later on in this book, we're going to find how arrogant he is. And 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 but God gets his attention again. Say, man, but. We find the nation of Israel is being judged. They are being uh, 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 scourged, if you will. God is using a wicked king to bring punishment and judgment upon his nation. Now, why did this happen? Because God said so. God said so. Why, why do we need to take this into consideration? And why, why does this need to be important to us? Because no matter what is happening in this world, God is still in control. And even, even in judgment, even in judgment, God can still protect you and use you even in a foreign land and in a wicked culture and society. So all of this happened because God said so. God is in control. The main theme of this whole book, ladies and gentlemen, the main theme of this whole book, that God is in control. Say it with me. No matter what it looks like, God is in control. No matter who's in, who's in power, God is in control. It doesn't matter if they threaten you with lions or threaten you with a a, a fiery furnace. God 
And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Number two. Number two. <clears throat> the Lord gave. This was the Lord's idea. The Lord was behind this. The Lord caused this to happen. He was in control. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. With part of the vessels of the house of God. Now we're going to talk about the place. Which he carried into the land of Shinar. Boy, this, there's a lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff here. I want you to see the place of captivity. Not only the prophecy that's confirmed. But I want you to see the place of captivity. The land of Shinar. I started digging into the land of Shinar. And seeing what, what we could find out about that. And why that was significant in God's word. First, I want you to see, I want you to see its splendor. Write that down. It's splendor. Babylon was a city dedicated by the religiosity of the king to Bel Merodach. And every part of civic life centered around the exaltation and worship of that heathen deity. In other words, everything in the city was connected to or directed to the worship of this false uh, idol. Babylon was one of the most spectacular metropolises the earth had ever seen. We are told that the wall around it was 300 feet high, that it was 80 feet wide, that he, that the uh, Euphrates River flowed through it and was separated into beautiful canals that made a Venice out of the entire city. There was a veritable civic empire within those walls, which measured 50 or 60 miles in length. It's amazing. The king's palace was a glory to behold. It was circled with vast works of masonry with beautiful hunting scenes painted on the walls and on the inside of the palace grounds and out of deference to his Armenian mountain wife, the king had built gardens upon gardens upon gardens until they looked like rising mountains, which you know is the, 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 the ancient city, one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, the hanging gardens of Babylon. But out of all of the spectacular things that you see in ancient Babylon, there was none, not even, not even the king's palace or the mountain gardens that rivaled the great temple to Bel Merodach. It towered in the air over 600 feet high. It was food and drink that had been offered unto Bel Merodach in that great temple that was laid before Daniel and his three friends. This fair was part of their Chaldean nation. It was their introduction to idolatry and the purpose was to make idolaters out of them. So we see, we see, uh, uh, Daniel, can you imagine, can you imagine Daniel leaving Jerusalem? Now Jerusalem was significant. Jerusalem was significant. The, the temple, Solomon's temple was significant. It was very beautiful and very grand, but nothing compared, nothing compared to, to uh, going into this city, this metropolitan city, and it was just unbelievably breathtaking, especially to a teenager, to a teenager. Now, let's look at the second part, not just its splendor, not it, just its beauty and, and its magnificence, but I want you to see its symbolism. Write that word down. Its symbolism. When you look up the word Shinar or the land of Shinar, there's many things that come up in God's word. First of all, you're going to see it's a place where Nimrod was. Nimrod, Nimrod, the great grandson of Noah. Nimrod was one of the first uh, rebels, if you will, against God after the flood was over. Uh, how many of y'all remember the Tower of Babel? Guess where that was at? 
the land of Shinar. Same place. Now watch. Now watch. Nimrod established a great kingdom in the land of Shinar. As the leader of the kingdom of Babel, Nimrod is also connected to the tower of Babel. According to the historian Joseph, according to the historian Joseph, Nimrod said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. For that he would build a tower too high for the waters to reach. So they were building the tower just in case God decided to kill the flood again and and they were going to show him. Are y'all with me? A rebel, a God hater. He would avenge himself. Nimrod we're talking about. He would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. This is, this is in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, book one, chapter four. The motive, according to Josephus, for building the Tower of Babel was to protect humanity against another flood. Now think about that. Think about that. Man's wickedness, man's rebellion against God, man's defiance in the face of God, God destroyed him with the flood. God brought judgment on them with the flood. And so what does man do? Does man say, we better not do that again. Does man say, listen, the best thing we can do is repent. The best thing we can do is be obedient to God who made us, that he is God and there is none other. He is God and holy and we are sinners and we're in desperate need. No, they didn't do that. That's not what man did. Man said, let's build a tower just in case he tries it again. In other words, they are defiant and they are rebellious. And you know what we do? You know what we do? You know what mankind does? Instead of repenting over sin that has caused disease and that has caused, listen, unbelievable deaths in society, we just get medicine so we can keep sinning and try to save ourselves from the judgment that God has brought. Let's don't, let's don't get right with God. Let's just prevent him trying to punish us. Let's just try to, let's try to change. No, no. Listen, Shinar. Nimrod, Nimrod builds the, the tower. He's going to protect humanity against another flood. Nimrod was rebellious against God. Construction of the tower of Babel ended with a show of God's power. God's okay. The Lord confused the languages of the people, making it impossible for them to communicate effectively enough to finish the construction of the tower. And by the way, it was also, it was also rebellion against God because they gathered together. They gathered together instead of spreading out, multiplying and replenishing the earth. God wanted them to go and they came together and they said, we're, we're, we will, we will be basically the same thing that culture says today. We are our own boss. We will be our own gods. And God showed them again. <clears throat> The land of Shinar, Shinar was where Nimrod, the first rebel against God after the flood, the tower of Babel was there, which was a, was, was a, a pinnacle. It was a, 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 just a picture of man throwing their fist up to God in rebellion. It was also the place where the Kings that came and kidnapped lot, the Kings that came and kidnapped lot, 
If y'all remember when Abraham had to go and, and, and defeat these kings and rescue Lot and bring him back. How many of y'all remember that? Say amen. Achan's temptation. How many of y'all remember, how many of y'all remember when, when Joshua went into Jericho? Jericho was the first city in the promised land. How many of y'all know God wants the first of everything? Do y'all remember what he said? Do y'all remember what he said about, jo- or about Jericho? He said, when you go into Jericho, I want you to destroy everything. I want you to destroy everything. Everything good in it, all the silver, all the gold, all the garments, everything that's good, I want you to bring it into the storehouse. In other words, it was God's. It belonged to God. Why was that? Because it was the first city in the new land. It was the first city in the promised land. It was a tithe, if you will, of what God was going to give to them. After that, they could keep everything for themselves. But God said, the first is mine. And we know what happened. Achan took what, what kind of garment? A Babylonian garment from the land of Shinar. What does it mean? It has to do with temptation and, and falling into sin. Nimrod, sin, Tower of Babel, sin, rebellion. Listen, the, the kings that came and, and, and kidnapped Lot, rebellion, Achan's temptation, rebellion against God. Then we see wickedness prophesied by Zechariah. The center of it in, in, in his vision was there in the land of Shinar. But then watch this. It's going to be the Antichrist capital in the tribulation period. It's going to be the Antichrist capital in the tribulation period. It's going to be the center of economic, governmental, and religious power is going to be in the land of Shinar. And what is the Antichrist? The last rebellion against God. Everything about where Daniel is being taken is a symbol and a response of rebellion against God. If we'll read there, Shinar is significant in its connection to the world's historical rebellion against God. Everything from the construction of the Tower of Babel to its association with idols, its mistreatment of Israel, and its future association with the Antichrist. Despite the many evils in the land of Shinar, God has preserved his people there. Believing Israelites in Shinar will participate in Jesus's millennial kingdom in the future, demonstrating God's grace and redemption. Preacher, what do you say? And I'm saying this young man, this young man, 15 years old, these young men, four of them, scriptures call them children. They've been taken away. Now, now, if we, I didn't really put it in your notes because I run out of paper uh, and, and, and I don't like giving out two pages because that's a whole lot of typing and printing. Say amen. So let me just listen good in, in this deal. Daniel, Daniel was, was born during the time of Josiah. Josiah was a godly king. Josiah brought revival into the nation. He was a good one. Are y'all with me? Uh, he was also raised in, under the preaching of Jeremiah, and and we we are seeing we are seeing uh, uh, a book. He has the books here of of where he had the the uh, help me help me help me the prophecies concerning what was going to happen. Because later on in the book, later on in the book of Daniel, we're going to find where he is reading what's going to happen. He begins to be burdened and start praying, start praying for God to move. What was the point? He had a good upbringing. He had godly parents who taught him right. 
before they left, before they left, they trained them right. They trained them right. it's, It's more than just taking them to church. If you don't take your kids to Christ, taking them to church is not enough. Because one day they may have to go to a place where there is no church. Here's my point. Here's my point. We have so many kids. We have so many kids who are growing up in church. When I say growing up in church, that means their parents brought them. And then they go to school. They go to a foreign land. They go far away. And they are indoctrinated and they are immersed into a different culture. And when they are taken away from the church, they lose all sense of what the parents thought they had. And 78%, 79% of them never come back to church. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because we took them to church, but we didn't take them to Christ. We, th- we took them to church, but we didn't take church home with us. But we're going to read about some young men who were taken away from the temple. They were taken away from their parents. They were taken away from a culture that had a sense of God in it. And they were fine. They made it. They stood. And it wasn't because they took them to the temple. It was because they took the temple home with them. Listen, what they got in their religion was not just on Sunday, on Sunday morning. Their parents knew where their Bible was. Their parents took it home with them. Their parents taught them about God. Their parents taught them about religion. Their parents taught them about the right way to worship, the right way to be, what God expected out of them. And guess what? What we're going to read here in chapter number one is, is what their parents invested in them because of how they behaved when their parents weren't there. I don't care how your kid acts in front of you. How do they act when you're not there? Listen. Anyway, number three. Number three. We see now there's a pressure to conform. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should... Bring. In other words, I'm going to go bring some trophies. I'm going to bring some trophies. And I need you to bring some teens. So A, write this down. I want you to see the trophies he took. I want you to see the trophies he took. Now what was the point of the trophies? It was proof that his God was more powerful than the God of Israel. Now keep in mind, let's keep, let's keep in mind we're talking about Daniel here in, in, in the Hebrew children, right? Okay, so can you imagine Daniel? I don't know if they had him in chains. I don't know if they just allowed him to walk. I, I don't know what the deal was in that, that, that 
particular situation. Maybe, maybe they, they, were, they allowed them to walk without chains. But can you imagine is that long journey, that long uh, time of travel between uh, uh, Jerusalem and, and Babylon, can you imagine them looking in them wagons and seeing all the things that used to be in the temple? Can you imagine seeing the things of God, the holy things, the, the sacred things, the things that they revered their whole life and that was precious to them and that what brought them close to God and was it part of their worship of God? Can you imagine seeing it bouncing up and down in a, in a, in a wicked culture, a wicked society in the enemy's wagon? Can you imagine, can you imagine what the devil was whispering in his ear? Huh? Look how good your God is. Your God couldn't even, your God couldn't even protect your, your God's stuff. Can you imagine as they made it to Babylon and they had to stand and watch them up? They may have, they may have had to carry it in themselves and put it in the trophy house. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, the devil has a way of trying to convince you that his way is better. And the world is all about a pressurized uh, press, press. I, I don't know. Have y'all ever seen, have y'all ever seen uh, pots being made? You know, this piece of metal and they press on it and you just presses it into the form or shape that, that, that it is. You know, the, the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Conformed, conform means pressed into a mold. In other words, you have the, the, the shape of whatever it's wanting and the material on the inside, and it just presses it into the shape that it wants it to be. Pressed into a mold. In our culture today, our culture today is pressing Pressing Christians, pressing people into the mold that they want you to be. Now watch this, watch this. Two, well actually three things. First, I want you to see the trophies he took. But then look at the teams that he chose. Look at the teams that he chose. Look in verse number, uh, verse number three. <clears throat> and the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring what? Certain, Certain. not all of them. Not all of them, just certain ones, just certain ones. Which ones? Certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Now watch this. Even with them, even with them, how you know, how many of y'all know they could be an ugly prince? He, he was even more specific. It, you, didn't, you didn't get taken just because you was of the king's seed. You had to still qualify not that that was a good thing, but this is what it took. Children in whom was no, but well favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding science. And such as had the ability to end them to stand in the king's palace, whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now, in other words, in other words, they couldn't be ugly. They had to be handsome. They had to have a beautiful appearance. They had to have class. They had to have ability. They had to have talent. They had to have smarts. In other words, it was the best of the best. 
The king was taking from Israel the best of the best. Now, here's what here's what I, I, I'm taking from this. I'm taking this. How do we apply this to today? The devil is after young people that has great potential. Why does he want your kids? Because they have potential. Why, did, why does he want the young people of this world and the young people of our society? Because young people have potential to grow up and become something great for God. Let me, let me prove it. Let me prove it. How many of y'all remember when, when uh, right at the end, right before the crucifixion, right before the crucifixion, Jesus comes to Peter and says, listen, Peter, you need to watch out. You need to be careful. Satan has desired to. He wants you. He wants you. He's desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Isn't that what he said? But why didn't he say that to John? Why, why didn't he say that to Matthew? Well, why didn't he say that to James? He didn't say, James, John, hey, he wants you. No, he picked Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you. He didn't say y'all. He said you. Why would he do that? I'll tell you why. There was a day, there was a day that Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man am? And Peter stood up and said, we believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responded to him, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven and unto thee, I give the keys to the kingdom. And what did Peter do on the day of Pentecost? He unlocked the door of salvation to the Jews and they come in. Say amen. In Acts chapter 8, he unlocked the door to the the Samaritans and they came in. In Acts chapter 10, he unlocked the door to the Gentiles and they came in. The church was made whole. Preacher, why was the devil after Peter? Because Peter had the keys. Peter had potential. God had great plans for Peter. He knew that Peter had potential to do great things for him. And so he had a target this big on his back and he almost got him. But Peter had something going for him. I have prayed for thee. Preacher, what's the point you're trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is we need to be careful with our kids. Because they've got a target on their back and Satan has desired to have them because they've got potential. They've got potential. Satan is always after potential. We see the trophies that he took. We see the teens that he chose. Not just any of them, he chose certain ones. But then number three, this is the one that should make you cry. We see the transition he implemented. What did he do? He did his best to assimilate them into the Chaldean culture and religion. First of all, we see in this transition, and I wrote out beside it, I wrote out beside it, I don't know if you can see my notes, but right out here beside it, I put assimilation by indoctrination. Assimilation by indoctrination. In other words, they were trying to get them to cease being Jews and become Chaldean. Okay. Cease being what you are. In other words, he was trying to, and this is the simplest way. He was trying to change their identity. Think about this. Why why does, anyway, anyway, I'll get to that. He's changing their identity. First, 
by emasculation. Look in verse number three. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his what? Eunuchs. Now, I don't want to be graphic here, but eunuchs, everybody knows what they were. They were people that were emasculated, men that were emasculated to be used in, in the courts of foreign dignitaries. They were, they, were, they were stripped of their masculinity so that they could be ruled and controlled and have no other desire but the desire to serve the king. Some of them would even be put over uh, and be responsible for their harems. And the king, when he went to battle, did not want to have any kind of any kind of uh, worry that something would happen while he was gone. So they would take slaves and emasculate them. And, and basically, it was a form of control. It was a form of brutality. It, it, it was to cause shame. It was to cause reproach. And if you'll remember the prophet Isaiah, do you remember the prophet Isaiah? He said that this is going to happen to your sons. This is going to happen to your sons. And I believe this happened to Daniel. Now, you say, why do you believe that? And I, I've, I've read commentaries on both sides who said, you know, no, he wasn't. Yes, he was. But here's one of the reasons I believe he was. In Isaiah 56, Isaiah 56, verse 3. Now, this is this in, in the book of Isaiah. This is the part where he is referring to their coming home. They're coming home. Now, uh, to understand what we're fixing to read, you got to understand that if that happened to a Jew, he was no longer allowed in the community of believers. He could not go into the temple if that took place because God prohibited that from taking place with the Jewish people because he didn't want them adopting the ways of pagan people and pagan lands. So they would not be allowed to go into the temple. And so can you imagine the slaves that were taken into Babylon that had this procedure done to them and now they get to come home and they're wondering what's going to happen to me? Watch this. Isaiah 50, 56, 3. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak. In other words, foreigners couldn't come into the temple either. Speak saying, the Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taking hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain. The holy mountain is always the, the, the temple mount, the place where the temple was. Make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be what? Accepted upon mine altar for mine house shall be called a house of prayer. For all people. What's he saying? He's saying to all the slaves, to all the captives who had that happen to them. He's saying everything's going to be all right. When you come home, we're going to take you. We're going to accept you. You're going to be able to worship like all the rest of them. And so that is in reference to the slaves that were taken into captivity in Babylon. And so I believe, I believe with all my heart 
This took place to Daniel and these four young men or three young men. Now, why are we talking about this? Why is this, why is this significant? Because we are living in a culture today that's trying their best to remove any sign of gender whatsoever. The, the, the emasculation of men in society today, they don't want boys to look like boys or girls to look like girls. It's just one asexual deal. It's just a mixed hodgepodge. They're trying. Now watch this. Now it's, this is not an accident. This is not, this is all satanic and demonic because it is another shake of the fist in the hand of God, their creator who made man, man and woman, woman. But in order to strip them of their identity, in order to to remove all semblance of who they used to worship, they emasculated them. Then number two, they put them through training, teaching the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. This is this is not just their language, but it's their religions, their sciences, their superstitions. All of these things go together in the training. What's happening in our in our in our universities today, they're being indoctrinated. Everything you're seeing in culture today, everything you're seeing in society, the foolishness and the wickedness and the, just the abominations everywhere, that's coming from what they learned in the schools we sent them to. And here's a problem. If we don't ground them right when they're young, they're going to be molded into what Satan wants to be when they leave. Now, now, now imagine this, imagine Jerusalem is your house and you go to church at the temple. Now, if you don't indoctrinate your children and teach your children, train your children, train up a child in the way he should go someday, he's going to graduate high school and he's going to Babylon. You, you, You don't think it's like that? Visit some of these campuses and look at the idolatry, look at the debauchery, look at the God haters, look at the people who's trying to convince your kids they're not who God made them to be. Listen, the world is trying to assimilate your children. The king was trying to make Chaldeans out of these Jewish young men. They did it by emasculation. They did it by training and indoctrination. The dietary ritual, the dietary ritual. It doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. It doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but it's a big deal. Because if you give in a little, you're going to lose a lot. Surely the king, and I was told this, I was told this when I was a kid. And a vision evangelist was preaching and he said, parents, please, please be careful. Because what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. If you miss going to church in God's house a little bit, your kids will do it a lot. If you compromise just a little bit, they will compromise a lot. And one thing that Daniel knew because of the training that he had and because of the teaching that he had... He knew if he just compromised in the food, he would end up compromising it all. So how, how do you know that? How do you know that? 
How many, how many, we don't read of any other of the, the captives. We don't read any of the other captives that stood their ground in this situation. And guess what? In a few more chapters, in a few more chapters, we're going to get to where the fiery furnace issue and situation. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And when we get there, there was no other standing. You see right here, it was just about the food. That doesn't seem like that big a deal. Preacher, why are you just being so dramatic? Why, why, you, you, you preacher, you're just, you're, you're just a zealot. You, you, you just, you're just extreme with this. No, 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 no. If you give in to the food one day, you're going to bow down to the idol. But they purposed in their heart. Now this food, this food, where'd this food come from? Why is it, why is it such a big deal for Daniel to say no? Surely the king's food was the best in the land. So why should these four Hebrew students refuse it? Because it would defile them and make them ceremonially unclean before their God. It was important to the Jews that they eat only animals approved by God and prepared in such a way that the blood was drained from the flesh. For eating blood was strictly prohibited. Leviticus 11, 17, 10 through 16. But even more, the king's food would first be offered to idols. And no faithful Jew would eat such defiled food. Listen, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. But Daniel said, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Now, what do we see? Not only do we see the dietary ritual, but look at this. A name change. Say that with me. A name change. You see, watch this. Daniel's, Daniel's name is God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Mishael means who is like the Lord. Azariah means the Lord is my helper. helper. See, all of them had names that were dedicated and committed to the God of Israel. Even their names reminded them of who God is. So what is the world and the culture has it? We got to change that. We got to change that. So what did they do? They changed their name. They changed Daniel from God is my judge to Belteshazzar, which means Bel protect the king, which was the, the chief Babylonian God there in Babylon. Hananiah, meaning the Lord is gracious to Shadrach, command of Aku, which was the moon God. Mishael was who is like the Lord to Meshach, who is like Aku is. Azariah, the Lord is my helper. To Abednego, meaning servant of Nego, the god of vegetation. So what is he doing? They're trying to remove everything that reminded them of the God of Israel out of their life. What do, what do dictators do? They try to remove religion. Why? Because they can't control you as long as you believe there's somebody powerful than they are. In North Korea, in North Korea, the dictator wants the people to call him a God. And he wants them to believe that he's a God because if there's someone more powerful than him, are y'all with me? And so they're trying to strip every semblance of religion, every semblance, every memory, anything that would connect them to the God of Israel. And now we find it's time to eat. And and Daniel, Daniel said... We can't do this. Verse number eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. 
nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Romans 12 says, be not conformed to this world. Before we go to number four, before we go to number four, I cannot stress to you, I cannot stress to you how important it is to not be conformed to this world. And I cannot stress to you, I cannot stress to you how much that this culture in this world is trying to conform you. There is an agenda in society. There is an outward pressure trying to force you to believe a certain way and to think a certain way and to behave a certain way. A pressure that's coming from society, it's coming from the culture, it's coming from the media, it's coming from every area of life. And they're specifically targeting your children. I was, I was looking at the news today, and now there's a bisexual Superman. A cartoon figure of Superman kissing another man. Preacher, what, 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 what is that about? What do you think it's about? What has it been about? They're targeting your children. This is a cartoon, ladies and gentlemen. And this is not just happening. This is not just happening. This is not just a, a conspiracy theory. It's been happening in cartoons. And they're trying to pressure your children into believing that that is normal. It's everywhere. But, but it didn't start there. It didn't start there. I mean, it's amazing how Christians can get all up in arms and just get disgusted about homosexuality and all that. It started with shacking up and living together. We get all bent out of shape about the homosexuality issue, but when people are shacking up, well, that's, that's wrong. We're conforming to the world. We're looking like the world. We're acting like the world. The reason the world don't want the church is because they already got what the church has turned into. The world, what do they say? The world is more churchy and the church is more worldly. We're conforming. We got to stand out. I'm not saying be weird. Nobody wants to be weird. You don't have to be weird. But you need to be different. They need to be able to see there's something different about that cat right there. We're peculiar people. We're our chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. Come out from among them and separate yourself. Be not conformed. Understand, understand some of the stuff you're seeing is the devil's, the devil's effort to try to conform you into their way of thinking. But if you stand... Well, they're not going to like me. Stand anyway. Stand anyway. Look at three things. I want you to see. Did I even give you number four? Okay, write this down. Write this down. I want you to see a pattern of commitment. <clears throat> pattern of commitment. We've got to hurry. Got to hurry. A, we see his resolve. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Bless God, I ain't doing this. I don't care what they do. We ain't doing that. 
Now watch this. This is what's so cool. His mama wasn't there. The priest wasn't there. The scribes from the temple, they wasn't there. But he had something right here. You see, them godly parents of his, they had invested something in him so that when he was far from home and far away from all of his spiritual and religious influence over him, that even now that he's in a foreign land trying to be assimilated, trying to change who he is, trying to change his name, trying to change his identity, trying to change his religion, everything that's there, it was still there. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. The wording of that means it won't depart from him. He won't be able to shake it. He'll always see it. He'll always remember. But he had a resolve. I told you what Brother Craig told me. You better make up your mind before the temptation comes what you're going to do when it gets here. Need to make up your mind now. Because when the opportunity comes, if you're not already determined, you're going to fall. Church, say amen. Amen. We see his resolve, then we see his request. His request. Oh, Melzar, he wasn't all about that. He was kind of scared. He said, now look, Daniel, if you you don't eat this stuff, you're going to be looking poorly and I'm going to get killed. That's what he's saying. And the prince of the eunuch said unto Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse likening than the, watch this, than the children which are of your. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means the other Hebrew children, they're chowing down. Did y'all, did y'all catch that? Sometimes you're going to have to stand when none of your peers do. Sometimes you're going to have to stand when even your family don't. Amen. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with us. He had to have some faith to do that, ladies and gentlemen. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat of the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine which they should drink and gave them pulse. I, I want to show something to you. We got 53 seconds, so I got to hurry. <clears throat> uh... Daniel stood, but he didn't have an attitude about it. You can, you can be firm in your faith and be firm in your standing conviction and not be a jerk. Did you see what he did? He said, he said, he made a request. He said, in other words, he worked with this guy. He, he showed diplomacy. Imagine this, imagine this. I don't know about y'all, I don't know about y'all, but if I had gone through what everything Daniel gone through, everything, yeah. 
I believe I'd have attitude. I believe I'd be angry. I'd be bitter against God. But he wasn't. He wasn't. He was going to try to be the best he could be in the situation he was in, but he drew the line where God drew the line. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, stand for what's right and do what's right, but have a spirit of meekness and godliness about it. Amen? Amen. And then watch what God did for them. I love this. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now it came time the three years was up. The three years was up. Now it comes time for them to basically be tested by the king. The king communed with them and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. If you'll stand when others don't. You'll be able to stand where others can't. Yeah, <laughs> That's good right there. <laughs> Verse 20. I like this. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them. Read it with me. Read it with me. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel what? Continued. We see his reward. Daniel's resolve, his request, and his reward. What does that mean he continued? All the way to King Cyrus. Seventy years he spent as a prime minister. All of those years. Because as a 15-year-old boy, he purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. All the young people in here, if there is very many, make up your mind today. You're going to go into colleges. And you're going to go into institutions of learning that's going to try to convince you that you came from a monkey. They're going to try to convince you that there is no God. They're going to try to convince you that every abomination listed is, is just a way of life. And that all the training you've had and all the teaching you've had is just, is just foolishness. But if you will stand for God, if you will stand for God, God will stand for you. And all God's people say it.